Hello, beautiful humans, and welcome to the Mental Wellness Wake-Up Show, a weekly podcast where growth-minded, creative people come to learn best practices from both spirituality and psychology that create lasting well-being. I am your host, mental wellness expert, improvised acting teacher, therapist, and coach, Dawn McMillan. Let's get to it. Hello, you gorgeous, beautiful human. We're back. Yay. I'm so glad you're here. If you are here for the first time, welcome. There's a lot of good stuff in the archives, so go back and listen to some of those. But you don't have to to follow along today. So we're talking about schema. And schema are ways that we organize information in the world. It's our pre-existing beliefs. It's our biases. It's our points of view. And there is a way in which we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And the way that happens is through our schema. What we believe to be true, confirmation bias will have us pick out of all of the information available and remember it. So we've been talking about a shame schema, a defectiveness schema. And a lot of people have some version of that. As you may know, if you've been around here for a while, I'm a big fan of the Enneagram, which is a nine-pointed wisdom system. And one of the main ways the Enneagram is divided into three parts of three includes kind of a primary wound orientation that creates the, the different personality types. So... Enneagrams two, three, and four would be considered in our shame group. People who are two, threes, and fours in Enneagram personality types are overcoming, relating to, or have had some of their personality characteristics shaped by shame. Shame is created by a defectiveness schema. The defectiveness schema is there is something wrong with me. Most people have some version of that. It is very, very rare for someone to make it to adulthood and not have a little bit of fear that they're different or weird or in some way just not good enough. So we talked in the last couple of episodes about some techniques and some ways of, of dealing with our, our, un, our unpleasant thoughts and our defective schema, some ways that we know that we have it. Today, I want to talk about the biggest, in my opinion, way to handle this idea that there's something wrong with us. And it comes from the title of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Accept and commit. So what am I talking about? All right. Most of our behavior that does not work for us is an attempt to manage our internal experiences. I'm going to say that again. Most of the behavior that we engage in that doesn't work for us is an attempt to manage an internal experience. More specifically, an internal experience that we don't like. So if I engage in the behavior of getting drunk every time I go out to meet new people. And that being drunk much of the time is not serving my health, my well-being, or my lifestyle. 
the reason that I might be engaging in that behavior is I don't want to feel anxious. Maybe I'm having an internal experience of anxiety and in order to try to get rid of that internal experience of anxiety, I engage in a substance use behavior. That substance use behavior then has negative consequences, undesired consequences, unhelpful consequences. And I start to wonder, well, why? Why am I doing this when it costs me so much in my life? The short answer is you are trying to manage an internal experience you are unwilling to have. Following along? Okay, so let's talk about shame. Um, if I secretly think I'm stupid, right? Defectiveness. I'm not good enough because I'm not smart enough. Um, I didn't do very well in school or I never went to school or I didn't graduate top of my class or whatever your I'm not smart enough schema might be. And someone talks down to you in some way. They over explain something that you already know or don't take your advice or don't recognize your expertise or whatever the trigger is. They say something. You have an internal experience that you find unpleasant. Oh, I feel shame. I feel criticized that I'm not smart enough. And then because you're unwilling to have that experience, you engage in a compensatory behavior. You lash out, you get passive aggressive, you get aggressive aggressive, you get depressed, you uh, go numb out on Netflix, you engage in some, some sort of compensatory behavior. We talked about those last week. Pause here and go back and listen if you want to review those. But it all sort of comes down to being unwilling to have an internal experience of a certain kind. So Stephen Hayes, who's one of the founders of acceptance and commitment therapy, says, the more you're unwilling to have a feeling, the more you have that feeling. The more anxiety you're unwilling to have, the more anxiety you will experience. The more shame you're unwilling to have, the more shame you will experience. The more depression you're unwilling to have, the more depression you will experience. Now, when I start saying things like this, the first objection that comes up is like, of course I'm unwilling to have anxiety. It feels terrible. Of course I don't want to feel shame. Of course I don't want to be embarrassed. Of course I don't want to be sad or depressed. This is where we start to distinguish between wanting and willing. Many of us go to school or go to jobs. We don't necessarily want to, but we are willing to go to our school or work our jobs or do our obligations because there's something about it that we value. Our education, impressing our parents, getting paid, whatever. So you have experience, I guarantee you, being willing to do something that you didn't want to do. Uh, sitting next to Uncle Murray at Thanksgiving who has a tendency to burp a lot or something. So if we can take this experience of being willing to do things whether or not you want to into a deeper level, namely our own internal experiences, we can begin to short circuit the behaviors that don't serve us. So let's, let's stick with our um, example of social anxiety and drinking to compensate. 
my friend says, hey, come to this party with my work friends. And you start to think, she's gonna be the only person I know. She's gonna be busy with all of her work friends. And then the anxiety, oh, I'm gonna look stupid. I'm gonna, they're not gonna like me. I won't have anything to say. I don't know what to wear. What if um, they all start talking about something engineering wise and I don't understand. And you start to generate this anxiety about going. If you are willing to have the anxiety, just willing to have it, you don't have to like it, don't have to enjoy it. If you're just willing to allow it to exist, then you don't need to do the compensatory behavior of getting drunk first. If you are willing to allow an internal experience to exist without aligning, agreeing, resisting, or reacting, you will not feel compelled to do the compensatory behavior, which doesn't work for you. So what do you do next? <laughs> That's the acceptance piece in the acceptance and commitment therapy, being willing to accept that an internal experience is present. It's there, it's already there. You can align with it. Um, I, I feel anxious, therefore I can't do something. You can agree with it. I feel anxious, therefore there's something to be anxious about. Uh, you can resist it like, no, 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 I don't wanna feel this, I don't wanna feel this, I don't wanna feel this, I'm gonna think positive, I'm not gonna feel it. But you can react to it. I feel anxious, therefore I'm going to drink a fifth of vodka. Or you can accept that it is present. The RAIN process, R-A-I-N, I have an episode on that, I'm 90% sure, is really about allowing, allow it to be there. Anxiety is there, allow it to be there. And then commit. That's the commitment part. Accept that these internal experiences exist and then commit to taking action according with your values, whether or not your internal experience changes. So if one of my values is to be a supportive friend and my friend asks me to her party, then I commit to taking the action of showing up for her party, whether or not anxiety is present. I accept that anxiety is present. I even accept that I don't like it, <laughs> right? I don't like it. I can accept that too. I'm creating an, another um, exper internal experience that's un unenjoyable for most people, but that's okay. So you can accept that anxiety is present. You can accept that you don't like that feeling of anxiety and you can choose to go to the party because that behavior is in alignment with your values. So the primary tool for overcoming this defectiveness, shame, depression schema, and any other adverse internal experiences to, is to allow it to exist without aligning, agreeing, resisting, or reacting. In other words, living according to your values and not according to your moods. Living according to your values and not according to your transitory opinions. I don't feel like putting my laundry away, so I'm not going to do it. Okay, depending on your values, that's either in, in accordance with your values or not. If your values are to only do things that you feel like doing in the moment, then you're living according to your values. If your values are to make sure that your clothing is organized so that you have a, an easier time of getting dressed for the week, then that procrastination tactic that you just chose is not in accordance with your values. 
it is an illusion that we have to want to do something in order to do it. It is an illusion that if something feels bad, it is bad. You can, I can, we can, one can have an internal experience that we don't particularly love. We can be willing to have it, not to like it, don't have to enjoy it, just be willing to allow it to exist and commit to taking the actions that are in alignment with your values, even so. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's it. It's that simple. It may not always be that easy. One of the first obstacles really is to get clear on what your values are. You can't live in alignment with your values and um, according to your values if you don't know what they are. And to the degree that we believe that our internal experiences are mandatory, we can get really caught up in them. So gentle reminder from past episodes, emotions are messengers. They are neither meant to be ignored nor obeyed. They are messengers who deliver information. So when anxiety shows up, anxiety is like, hey, there's something you're perceiving that something is wrong. Just thought I'd let you know. And then you can go, okay, thanks, got it. I'm perceiving that something's wrong. And then go into investigation. Uh, am I in danger right now? No. What am I perceiving to be dangerous? People might like me. Okay. Might not like me. Okay. Is that fatal? No. Is it pleasant? No, but I can live through it if I choose to. Okay. Then the anxiety has done her job. She showed up. She told you that you were perceiving that there was something wrong somewhere. Then you do your job to sort of accept and hear that message and let it go. And then you get to choose what action to take. You're not aligning, aligning, agreeing, resisting, or reacting. You're receiving the message of the emotion and you are making choices based on your values. Just because a feeling shows up, I feel angry, doesn't mean you have to act angry. I feel angry doesn't necessarily mean that a transgression actually happened. I feel angry, so I'm going to be pissed off for the rest of the week. I'm obeying, I'm obeying my emotion. Or I feel angry, anger is bad, so I'm not even going to acknowledge that it happened. Suppressing and ignoring your emotion, and then it comes out sideways. Right? So emotions are messengers. You don't have to like them. You don't have to dislike them. In fact, we don't have to have any opinion about them whatsoever. We can have a feeling without aligning, agreeing, resisting, or reacting. And the, the degree to which you are willing to allow an internal experience to exist is the degree to which you get to have your freedom. Once you accept that that internal experience has shown up, you then become committed to taking actions in alignment with your values. Ta-da! Okay, I know that was probably a little bit repetitive, and if so, I apologize. It is my experience that this is kind of a different point of view, and often when people are originally introduced to it, um, you have to get past a little bit of the yeah buts that our mind wants to throw up before we can truly hear the message. And if you got it, Congratulations! It takes uh, some of us a long time to get to this place. 
It really does. So to the degree that you are living your life according to your values, I want to stand up and I want to give you a big round of applause because that is the path toward a meaningful life. Woo! And you know what? You deserve a meaningful life because you are whole, perfect, and complete just the way you are. And you are worthy and deserving of all good things. And when we are living a meaningful life, we get to have more enjoyment, more peace, more harmony, and ultimately more pleasure. So let's kind of win, 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 win all around for everyone. Yeah? All right, you amazing, transcendent being you. Go out there and have a wonderful, wonderful week. I am so honored that you share time with me. If you've listened this far, then something here was of value to you. Would you please be a friend of the podcast and share it with at least one other person? The podcast is available on most platforms, including YouTube, and I need your help to get the word out. So please like, subscribe, and share, and a five-star review on iTunes would be chef's kiss. Thank you so much. See you next time.